Hello, welcome to the 18th episode of the MMA, MMA show, Matt's Middle Age Mixed Martial Arts Show. Uh, we are now uh, officially adults, 18 episodes in here. Um, what rights do you get? You can vote when you're 18. You still can't drink legally or rent a car, but you can vote when you turn 18. You're legally an adult. You can be tried for crimes as an adult. Uh, so yeah, the MMA show, MMA, MMA show is now 18 weeks old. Um, thank you for joining me. Uh, we're going to get into the, all the big news in MMA from the past week. It was kind of a slow news week, to be honest. There was a UFC fight night, uh, from Rochester, New York this past Saturday, May 18th at the Blue Cross Arena in Rochester, New York. Uh, attendance was 8,132 with a total gate of 643,000. In the main event, Rafael Dos Anjos defeated Kevin Lee with an arm triangle at 347 of the fourth round. Um, this was an interesting fight because both these guys are smaller welterweights. They both fought at lightweight for large portions of their careers. Um, Kevin Lee... I want to call him a prospect. He's been in the UFC for several years, but um, had an interim title fight against Tony Ferguson and seemed to be on the rise, and RDA is getting a little older, and um, RDA just pulled this one out. The fight was competitive early. Um, Kevin Lee was hanging in there. Then I don't know if he got a little tired or if RDA is just um, – maybe underrated in my opinion, because I, I, I thought Kevin Lee would win this fight, and um, RDA managed to pull it out. So uh, definitely a good win for him after two straight losses. Uh, again, those losses were against Kobe Covington and Kamaru Usman, possibly the two best welterweights in the world right now. Um, so, so a good win gets him back on the winning track. I'm not exactly sure what you do with him next. Um Obviously, the welterweight division is one of the better divisions in the in the world. Maybe you got to wait for some stuff to shake out with. I don't even know. Um, at one seventy, who could he fight at one seventy? Let's look at the UFC welterweight rankings. Tough loss for Kevin Lee too. I mean, this was his debut at one seventy, and he. I don't know if he got tired or just, you know, it seemed like RDA wanted it more. It was competitive standing. I, I don't know. It's kind of odd. I don't want to say he gave up. I'm not going to judge it that way, but um, he did drop off for sure towards the end of that fight. Let's see. Welterweight rankings. Where are we? The pollen's starting to get bad here in the northeast of the United States. Right now my eye is watering like crazy. I can't even read the laptop here, but we're going to persevere. Uh, let's see. So Usman is obviously your champ. RDA is not getting a title shot. But then you've got Woodley, Covington, and RDA is ranked third now. That is interesting. 
He's one and two in his last three, but his two losses are to Covington and Usman, the champion. So below him, you've got Jorge Masvidal at number four, Ben Askren at number five, Till at six, Stephen Thompson at seven, and Pettis at eight. It's interesting. So, I don't know. I don't know what you do. Woodley is hurt. He was supposed to fight Lawler. Or do I have that backwards? Lawler's hurt? Somebody's hurt. Um, I don't know. I don't know what you do with RDA. We don't even know what's next for Usman, necessarily. You would hope it would be Covington, but... Uh, things seem to be at a bit of a standstill at welterweight, so we're, we're going to wait and see how that shakes out. But RDA ranked three with a win, so um, one more win you think you'd be in line for a title shot. Uh, in the co-main event at middleweight, we had Ian Heinish defeating Antonio Carlos Jr. Shoeface by unanimous decision, 29-28 on all three cards. Um Heinrich lost the first round, and I, I thought it didn't look good for him. But another, there's a, he he persevered, man. Like, he got some takedowns. He got on top. He went to the ground with shoe face, which you're really not supposed to do. He's a jiu-jitsu world champion. And he managed to get on top and stay on top and keep control and do some damage. Um, good win for Heinish for sure, because I, I think, Shoeface there was definitely like in the top 15. He might have been ranked 13th in the world. So maybe Heinish gets a uh, top 10 opponent at middleweight next. Um, Felicia Spencer defeated Megan Anderson with a rear naked choke at 324 of the first round. This is probably like, I don't know, the second or third non-title fight in UFC women's featherweight history. And... Spencer is a former Invicta featherweight champ, but was way smaller than Megan Anderson. Megan Anderson's huge. She's like six feet tall, has to cut 20 pounds to get down to 145. And Spencer did not look in particularly good shape. This reminded me of some like, you know, bad heavyweight, UFC heavyweight matches where you've got the short overweight guy versus tall guy. Um, and you would assume the the tall, more fit guy would win and it did not happen here. Uh, Spencer got this thing to the ground, uh, control position, got the hooks in, and, and got the choke. It it was like an easy win. Like, Beacon Anderson is not good on the ground at all. At all. Like, Holly Holm dominator on the ground, and Holm's weakness is on the ground. And now Felicia Spencer beat her. Spencer called out Chris Cyborg after. Cyborg says she's willing to fight her. So we could have what appears to be a major mismatch mismatch between um, Spencer and Cyborg coming up. Uh, we also had Vicente Luque defeating Derek Krantz by TKO at 3.52 of the first. This was Krantz's UFC debut. He came in on short notice and came out like a ball of fire, landed a couple good shots, but Luque was able to take over and... Um, I think he knocked Krantz down with a punch and then finished him with punches on the ground from behind. Um, Luke is now like in line for like some not records, but he's got like the third most wins in like UFC welterweight history, and he's one of those guys nobody's ever heard of. He is currently now. Let's see. He is nine and two in the UFC. 
with a five fight win streak. Crazy. Crazy. There's that that's a, I don't want to say it's a problem with running all the shows they do. It's hard to keep track of these guys. Like, I know Vicente Luque. I know the name. I've seen him fight. He looks familiar. It's not like I've never heard of him. But, dang. Like, that guy has very little name recognition. No. Only your hardest of hardcore MMA fans know the guy. And he's 9-2 and two in the UFC. His only losses are to Leon Edwards. And in his debut, he lost to a guy named Michael Graves. But otherwise, um, he's been pretty impressive. He's got wins over Bilal Muhammad, Nico Price, Chad LaPreece, Brian Barberina, and now um, Derek Krantz. So he, he should be fighting top 10 guys now. He's 9-2 and two in the UFC, man. Um, I don't know if he's at that level, but he should be getting better guys at welterweight now. Uh, we also had at lightweight Charles Oliveira defeating Nick Lentz by TKO at 211 of the second. Um, Oliveira hit him with a right hand and just dropped him like it was right down the pipe, right down the middle. Hit Lentz on the chin and Lentz went down. And then Oliveira hit a couple punches on the ground. The rest stopped it. Um, Oliveira's another guy. I think he's got, he's tied for like the second most wins in UFC history now. <laughs> and. Nobody knows it. He he came into the UFC real young, like real early 20s. Let's see, he's 29 now. And he debuted in the UFC in uh, 2010, so nine years. Yeah, so he was like 20 when he debuted in the UFC. And when he debuted, he was undefeated at 12-0. and 0. He is now 27-8, so he's gone 15-8 and eight in the UFC, so he's already got 15 wins. I think, like, Cerrone's got the record with 22 or something, but he's also got, like, the, the most submissions in UFC history. Um, he's going to set some records, man, because he's seven years younger than Cerrone, so... Um, I don't think he's ever going to be an elite guy. I, I think there's some... Um, not mental issues, but I I wonder psychologically what his makeup is. If he's got the the mindset of a champion, the, the talents there. He's nasty on the ground. He's got length. He's clearly experienced now. There there's potential there, and he's just in his prime at twenty nine. So. It'll be interesting to see if Oliveira can put it all together. He's one of those guys who had, has so much potential, but you never know if he's going to capture it. And after being in the UFC for nine years, um, you wonder if he'll ever get there. It should be noted, though, despite that, he is on a bit of a hot streak now. He has won uh, five in a row. Um, granted, it's Nick Lentz, and he's longer in the tooth now, not what he used to be, but he still won five in a row. It's not, It's not a joke. Um, so yeah, you'd like to see Oliveira get somebody elite again. Uh, in the opener, Davi Ramos defeated Austin Hubbard. Um, I don't remember much from that fight. I think there was a, a spot, like it's pro wrestling, um, where they both kicked each other low simultaneously and the ref had to stop it and tell both of them uh, to be careful. So that was pretty good. Um, on the prelims, Aspen Lad defeated Sajara Eubanks. Uh, what else we got? 
Michelle Perrero uh, defeated Danny Roberts with a flying knee uh, punch combo. This was a, a exciting finish for sure. That was a minute 47 into the first. Ed Herman got a win by TKO. Uh, old Ed Herman. And uh, I think those are the main main names you would recognize from the show. Bonuses went to Fight of the Night for Aspen Lad versus Sajara Eubanks. And performances of the night went to Michelle Pajera and Grant Dawson. And that is your UFC Fight Night Rochester review. Um, they also announced on that show that one Rashad Evans is going into the UFC Hall of Fame this summer. Um, he'll become a part of the Hall of Fame's modern wing when the 2019 class is inducted on July 5th during International Fight Week. Um, Evans was a good fighter, man. I mean, he debuted on The Ultimate Fighter, I think the second season, uh, as a heavyweight, won that tournament. Uh, I think he beat Brad Imes in the final. Um, it's a deep cut. Um, but he won the light heavyweight championship. Um, had some good wins over, you know, Chuck Liddell, Michael Bisbing. Uh, he lost a fight to Machida, but then he got wins. You know, he beat Quentin Jackson, Tito Ortiz, Phil Davis. Um, he had that feud with John Jones. Obviously, he lost that fight. Um, the ultimate fighter with Rashad, with all that build up to their fight. Granted, the fight wasn't great, but it drew really, really well on pay-per-view. Rashad was a top guy for a long time. Um, who else did he beat? I think he beat Dan Henderson, Chael Sonnen. Um, so he's going to join Ronda Rousey, Uriah Faber, BJ Penn, Bisping, and Griffin in the UFC Hall of Fame's modern wing. So there, there you go, Rashad Evans into the UFC Hall of Fame. I think he grew up near Rochester or something. That's why why they announced it there. Um, there was also a one FC event over the last week. Uh, the big news out of that was uh, Sage Northcott got knocked out like in a minute against uh, Cosmo Alexander, who's like a pretty well-known, decent kickboxer. Um, and he just drilled him with a right hand right up the middle uh, and apparently broke like 30 bones, something, 30 fractures, 30 pieces of bone fragment were removed from Sage Northcutt's face after this knockout. So one of those knockouts where like the guy gets hit and then there's like this slight delay, and I don't want to say he stumbled around, but there's like, it's not the one where a guy gets decked and then falls down like a tree immediately, um, like Nate Quarry and, and Rich Franklin. It wasn't like that. This is more like he gets hit, time stops, and then he slowly f like face plants, basically. Um this was Sage's like one debut, so it, it obviously wasn't a good debut at all. Um, There's a lot of questions afterwards about like one's weight cutting policy and if Alexander was bigger. And the the idea is with one, you don't cut any weight, and they measure um, not the amount of fluid in your body, but your your hydration levels. They measure your the amount of water in your body, I guess, how hydrated you are, and they decide what weight class you should be in. And most guys move up a weight division. Like 
in one Ben Askren fought at 185 as opposed to 170 because they don't want guys cutting weight and they think it'll be healthier. But guys can still work their way around it. So there, there was an argument that um, Cosmo Alexander was a, was the bigger guy in the cage, which might might be the case. Um, either way, essentially Sage's face got broken into multiple pieces, broken orbital bone, eight different fractures. Um, they're taking bone fragments out of his face. It was a nasty, nasty punch. Um, tough loss for Sage. That was definitely the most noteworthy thing from that last one show. Sage North got, got beat up pretty bad. Um, one of Sage's friends is in the news, Uriah Faber. Um, Sage and him have worked together at Team Alpha Male, and Faber is saying he's very serious about making a comeback. Uh, Faber retired in December of 2016. Um, he's been running Team Alpha Male, and I'm sure he's been training off and on. Um, UFC is scheduled for a July 13th stop in Sacramento, the city where Faber's gym is based. Um, Faber's talking about that he'd like to come back there and fight again. Um, he's going to be 40. He obviously didn't, I mean, he didn't go out like a lot of fighters. He actually retired on a higher note than most, um, with a win at least. It wasn't like, you know, BJ Penn style where he's lost eight fights in a row, you know, um, hasn't won in a decade. Faber, you know, stayed more active, was always in the gym. Um, but again, I, I don't need to see him fight again. He retired because he had slowed down and wasn't the fighter he used to be. Granted, it's not like he's getting knocked out. All his losses are, for the most part, unanimous decisions, you know. Uh, lost Jimmy Rivera, Dominic Cruz, and Edgar all by Union's decision, but in between he had a Frankie Sayans win. He retired in December of 16 after he beat Brad Pickett. So it's going to be, you know, a two and a half year layoff for him. And at 40 years old, I don't love it. I, I don't think he needs to come back. But again, it wasn't like he was getting knocked out left and right. He was beating the guys he should beat, you know, and, you know, the Hennon Burrows and Dominic Cruz's and Frankie Edgar's were, you know, higher level level guys. And, and it, it wasn't a terrible ending to Faber's career. But who's he come back against? Are they going to give him a guy to build to build up? You know, like, I, I, I don't know how you book it. Um, Unless there's an old rival or something. I don't think Dominic Cruz is looking to fight right now. Um, I'm sure he's injured again. Um, probably wouldn't want to do Aldo again. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know who who the best person for him to fight would be. He could fight at 135 or 145. So maybe there's a younger guy coming up that they want to build and Faber will want the challenge. Um See what happens. I mean, it, it's it's not horrible, but yeah, I'm not excited to see Uriah Faber fight again. He he was slowing down, you know, four years ago, five years ago. Um, we've got uh, Polly Malinagi and Artem Lobov in the news. They're going to do a bare knuckle boxing fight. 
on uh, June 6th in Tampa. Uh, they did some sort of press conference where Malinagi and Lobov were face-to-face. They started yelling at each other, and Malinagi spit at Lobov. Um, you know, it wasn't a good look, but again, it's 2019. No one really cares. They, like, there's no bad publicity at this point. It doesn't seem like, um, I'm trying to make sure I have this quote right. Polly Malinagi, Nagi, Nagi, and Artem Lobov kicked off a obscene press conference to announce their June 22nd bare knuckle boxing fight. Malinagi said, I'm going to take out my dick after I knock his teeth out and I'm going to piss in that toothless mouth. So that that's uh, quite the way to promote. It might draw some people in. It's not my thing, but there's probably an audience for that. I don't know if they'll be buying pay-per-views. Um, Hmm. It's a lot of sake almost like kind of went viral. He was doing some weird dance video a couple days ago. Um, I think Dana White shared it. And then I saw a bunch of other people share it. Um, what else is going on? That's uh, Malinaji and Lobov's story. Uh, wild press conference. Uh, Junior Dos Santos versus Francis Ngannou has been moved from UFC 239 to the main event of UFC Minneapolis. Um, so I think Minneapolis was supposed to be Woodley versus Lawler, but that got pulled um, because Woodley had a hand injury. So, so Lawler's still available to fight, but they haven't found him an opponent yet. Uh, so they moved Nganu versus JDS to that show. Um, again, that'll be an interesting fight. JDS has been fighting smarter the last couple of years. I mean, he's pretty much been outpointing guys. But Nganu's scary, scary strong. One big punch and it's over, and you never know if he's going to land it. So I'm actually kind of curious about that fight to see. If JDS wins that fight, he should get a title shot at heavyweight. It's like... There's nobody else, and he's won a bunch of fights in a row. So, um, and vice versa with Ngannou. I mean, he'd be the number one guy if he wins. So, essentially, that's going to be a number one contender's fight at heavyweight with the winner. I guess they would get Stipe or D or DC if DC doesn't retire. Um, if DC retires after the Stipe fight, um, and DC wins that that. That could be interesting, too. Who knows what, what direction they'll go in at heavyweight then. Uh, also got Jorge Masvidal versus Anthony Pettis in a jiu-jitsu match on June 15th. Uh, my mom's birthday, actually. Uh, it's weird. A company called DT Promotions out of Pensacola, Florida, has announced a grappling match for an iPay-per-view show at the Pensacola Bay Center. Um Matches billed as a jiu-jitsu super fight. Uh, Masvidal is the current number four contender in the welterweight division. Um, and it's going to come three weeks before Masvidal's July 6th fight with Ben Askren. Um, 
pretty ballsy of both guys. Both guys have big fights scheduled. Uh, Pettis is scheduled to fight Nate Diaz um, in August. Granted, it's later, but still, it's like... A lot of times UFC in the past wouldn't allow guys to do stuff like this, especially when they had fights scheduled. I mean, yeah, it's jujitsu. You're likely not going to get hurt, but weird shit happens, man, and the UFC doesn't always have the best luck. Um, and it's weird. Like, Masvidal and Pettis, neither one are, like, really known for their ground games. Granted, Pettis had a few, like, slick submissions in his career, like, like the Ben Henderson one where he won the title with that iron bar and... He's had some good submissions, and he's no no slouch on the ground, but it's just two interesting guys who are more known for their striking doing a jiu-jitsu match, which I don't know if there's heat between the two or why they wanted to do it or what this... Obviously, they're getting paid something for it. So um, it's just funny to me to see UFC allow two ranked guys with upcoming fights scheduled to a jiu-jitsu match. It's... Not totally unheard of, but it's unusual. I mean, they were letting Josh Barnett do stuff like that. John Jones, when he was suspended, had the the Dan Henderson. I think, did he do it with Dan Henderson and Chael? There might have been one or two. But so occasionally they let guys do stuff like this, as long as it's not, you know, striking, where you can get knocked out and be out. But you could still get injured. It, it seems... Um, like an unnecessary risk to, that the UFC is allowing to happen. But maybe maybe it's a, a change. Um, in boxing, uh, this past weekend, Deontay Wilder defeated Dominic Brazil uh, on, I think it was Friday night. It was like a nasty right hook that knocked uh, Brazil out here. It was brutal. Like, Deontay Wilder... It's freaking hard. Like, he knocks dudes out. Like, he, even in that Tyson Fury fight that, you know, he, he was losing. In the 12th round with a minute left, he drilled Tyson Fury, knocked him out. I still don't know how Tyson Fury got up. Um, but Wilder hits freaking hard, man. He's not, like, the most skilled boxer by any stretch. But, goddamn, do not get hit in the head by that guy. Um, there's a wicked funny meme going around with a guy in the front row and his reaction to the finish of the fight, just like shock and awe, like jaw dropped. Because um, you, you don't see knockouts like Wilder has often. There's a lot of times guys just fall down, but he he puts guys to sleep, man. Deontay Wilder, um, heavy hitter. Uh, this week there's no UFC events. There's no Bellator events, but there is a PFL show tomorrow night, Thursday, May 23rd in Long Island, New York at the Nassau Coliseum. Um, this is part of their second tournament. Uh, a couple names you probably recognize. Uh, Lance Palmer, he's fighting Alex Gilpin. Uh, Chris Wade, former UFC fighter, is also on the show. Andre Harrison, a guy, I think he's still undefeated. Um Real good fighter, uh, taking on Peter Pettis. Um, Ahmed Aliyev. Uh, who else we got? A lot of uh, like Russian fighters on this card, I'm guessing, guys, that Ali Abdelaziz got in. Rashid Magomedov, former UFC fighters on the show. 
uh, so we got Steven Seiler, who did well in the last tournament. I think he made it to the finals of the last tournament. He's uh, fighting in the opener on this one. So, yeah, there's a PFL show on, I think, it, I don't know if it's on ESPN2 or ESPN+. Plus. Okay, let's see. It looks like the prelims are on ESPN2 from 7 to 9. Then the main card is on ESPN Plus from 9 p.m. to midnight. Can you imagine sitting around and watching PFL for five hours? Holy crap. You gotta really like cage fighting to watch all that. I mean, I don't know anybody who's watching UFC on ESPN Plus, let alone PFL on ESPN Plus. You gotta be freaking dedicated, man. Like, if it, I, like, it's gotta be. People whose full-time job is covering MMA would watch that whole show. And even then, I don't think your Ariel Helwani's and Luke Thomas's are watching the PFL prelims on ESPN2. I, I, I don't know who's watching this. I can't imagine. You're talking about the third biggest promotion, MMA promotion in the States prelim show. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe somebody is. It's on ESPN too. Um, what else is going on? That's pretty much it for for MMA news. It was a it was a lighter week. There wasn't a big show. I don't think Conor McGregor did anything weird. Nate Diaz has been quiet. John Jones says he doesn't want to fight DC at heavyweight because he's DC is too dangerous. He doesn't want to give DC a size advantage. Um, Ronda Rousey's trying to have babies. Brock Lesnar won money in the bank, but really, there, there's not a lot of a lot of big news going on. I, I didn't see any USADA test failures. Uh, kind of a, a, a dull week. Um, but as I say that, there's probably some huge story breaking right now. Um, in uh, the weird news section of the show here, Arnold Schwarzenegger. You know, uh, the Terminator, he is not pressing charges after being drop-kicked. That's right. Someone at an event ran up to Arnold from behind and just drop-kicked him right in the back. Like like a running drop-kick. And Schwarzenegger barely even budged. Like he took a step or two forward, didn't go down. Schwarzenegger's old He's 71 now. He got dropkicked from behind. Basically, no sold it. No sold it. Barely budged. Like, a lot of 71 year olds would be, have like a broken rib, get pneumonia, and a punctured lung and die from this sort of thing. And I'll just shook it off. No big deal. Um, and he said on, it looks like Twitter, a lot of you have asked, but I'm not pressing charges. I hope this was a wake up call and the attacker and the attacker gets his life on the right track. Good for Arnold. Arnold's a badass. I don't know what to say. Um, you know how, like if something like physically happens to you that you don't expect, like you, you stub your toe or you're not looking where you're going and you know, the kids left a toy in the room and you trip on it and you stumble. Um, I really get shoved from behind unknowingly. But it's like that that surprise. You, sometimes you can get hurt if you're not expecting something like that. And Schwarzenegger didn't get hurt, barely sold it, and isn't going to press charges. Pretty badass. 
you know, good for good for Arnold. I, I bet a lot of people in his situation would uh press charges and try to sue that kid and Arnold just says, I'm fine. No big deal. Shit happens. I, I, I respect that. Uh, and then, as many of you know, I, I've worked in the restaurant business for, Jesus Christ, 20, 25 years? Ugh. Yeah, like 25 years, okay? Uh, and I've seen, like, a lot of mistakes, you know, people drop a tray of glasses, um, break some equipment in the kitchen, uh, toilets overflow, like stuff happens. It's a restaurant, you know, and things break and you got to fix it and people make mistakes. That's kind of my job. Pretty much I'm, I'm fixing, um, mistakes and things that, uh, go awry all day at the restaurant. That's essentially what I do. Um, but this one's pretty big. Uh, in London, a British restaurant has given some customers an unexpected treat, accidentally serving them a $4,500, uh, it's actually not dollar, I, I'm screwing this up, serving them a 4,500 pound bottle of red wine. This translates to $5,760 American. The Hawksmoor Manchester said on Twitter, hope the diners enjoy their evening after getting the 2001 bottle of Chateau Le Pin Pomeral instead of the 260-pound, $333 bottle they had ordered of Chateau Pichon Longville, um, 2001. So essentially, when you go out to eat, you look at the wine list, you pick a bottle of wine, Usually, if you know what you're doing and the restaurant has bottle numbers for each bottle, you order by by the bottle number. Um, you'd say, oh, I'll have a bottle of 220, the whatever, Kendall Jackson Cabernet, whatever it is. And you, the server, someone will run downstairs, get the wine, bring it up. They present the bottle. You look at it and say, oh, yeah, that's the wine I ordered. They open it, you have a sip, and you say, oh, yeah, it, it's sound, it, it's great, whatever. We'll, we'll drink it. Apparently, these people got the wrong line and nobody noticed. Uh, a restaurant spokeswoman says, it was a very busy night at the restaurant and a very simple mistake. A member of staff picked up the wrong bottle of Bordeaux. The restaurant told the employee that one-off mistakes happened and added, we love you anyway. The report sparked a flurry of amused responses on Twitter, with many people asking for a table served by the same waiter and others praising Hawksmoor for its comments to its employee. Tasting notes for Chateau Lapin Pomerol on wineinvestment.com note the wine's deep ruby plum purple color and read a tremendous effort, an extraordinary perfume of creme de cassis, cherry liqueur, plums, licorice, caramel, and sweet toast. That's a pretty big screw-up, man. Like, I'm guessing they charge these people the 333 bucks, But the people should have paid $5,700 for it. That's a big, big screw-up. I'm going to go. Let's go to Wine Spectator real quick. Because I should still be logged into that site. Let's see. We're going to Google this. We're going to research this wine a little bit. 
uh, bear with me. This is not a good system I have. Like, you would think someone who does a podcast would look this up beforehand. Not me. I just do it in the middle of the show. Because I'm crazy. Let's see. What was the line called again? Uh, Lapin. Chateau Lapin. What vintage? Uh, 2001-01. Chateau Lapin. My French is horrible, by the way. Like, I never took a French class. I butcher all, all French words. All right. Uh, vintage. Uh, shoot. Hang on. Chateau Lapin Pomerol 2001. Okay. Wow. This is interesting. Uh, Chateau Lapin 2001 scored 96 points in Wine Spectator. Its current auction price is $2,700. So. I mean, the restaurant's basically doubling the auction price. The original release price of this wine was $550 a bottle. So it's, you know, 18 years old. Um, there's not a lot of it. They only made 412 cases of this wine to begin with. So you're talking, you know, 5,000 bottles in the world total. 18 years old. The auction price is up to $2,700. Uh, the wine spectator reviews... Stunning menthol, lapsang, souchong, and roasted balsam aronas make this a distinctive vintage for Le Pin. Though the core of lightly steeped raspberry and boysenberry fruit still seems held in reserve, the long finish has a subtle juiciness that lets everything linger gracefully, though there's some serious power here too. Best from 2018 through 2035. Again, 400 cases made. That's what makes a lot of these Bordeaux's and Burgundy's expensive is there's not a lot of it, you know? If, if you have, you know, a few thousand people in the world who really want something and there's not a lot of it, you can jack that price up and people will pay it. It's supply and demand like anything. Um, but yeah, imagine that, like... I wonder when they realized they popped the wrong bottle. Like, if the customer noticed. Like, I wonder how it all went down. Because, like, the the idea is when, as a server, you bring the wine to the guests at the table and you present it. And you say, you know, this is the, the 2001 Le Pin. And, again, the, the guest confirms that it's right. I wonder if that step happened at all. Because sometimes, you know, you're in a rush. You get the wine, and maybe you don't present it, but you would think with wine that expensive in a really upscale fine dining restaurant, they're going to present the wine and make sure it's the right stuff. Um, it's crazy. It's crazy. Because you're talking about a $5,000 swing. Um, granted, it's possible the restaurant paid that five fifty price initially unless they bought it after that which could also happen um but that that that's a tough tough loss for the restaurant but a win for the customer um they got to drink a really expensive bottle of wine for relatively short money um and it's a wine that at this point 
you know, how much is left in the world? A couple, maybe a couple hundred cases, maybe, maybe. They only produced 400 of them 18 years ago. Um, so that, that story caught my eye, but that's only because I'm a restaurant geek. Uh, on that note, I, I have nothing left for this week. This is a, this is a shorter show, which is uh, nice for you guys. Uh, this was MMA, MMA show number 18. I appreciate you joining me on Matt's middle Age mixed martial arts show. I shall be back next week. Check us out on Twitter, MMA, MMA show one, and on Instagram at MMA, MMA show. Um, you know, I, I, I make some funny memes occasionally, uh, and I'd love it if you checked it out. Thanks again for listening, and we will be back next week. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye.